0: Hi, I'm El Todd Wood. At CD Media, we decided never to have a paywall on any of our sites, I hate those. But we have to make money so we do have advertisements. But some people don't like ads, so what can you do? You can sign up for our no ad subscription. It's a few bucks a month, you go to the top of any of our sites and sign up for the subscription and you get access to all of our websites, all of the news from around the world. This includes our Eastern European, Israeli, Balkan sites, it includes armedforces.press, it includes all the U.S. papers that we've opened, the Miami Independent, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Georgia Record, the Manhattan.press, and the, those that are yet to come in the pipeline, which will be opening soon. So you get all this access to fantastic news from around the world with no ads, no display ads, no pop-up ads. I think you'll love it. Please check us out. It helps support CD media, independent media, and basically confronting the propaganda that's being put out by the corporate media. Thank you. Now let's get to our guest. Welcome back to the Georgia 2022 show. We're live from CPAC, Mexico, in Mexico City. So bear with us if we have any internet issues, Uh, but uh, we're going to push forward. So today we have a really interesting show brought to you by the Georgia Record, and we have Sarah Thompson and Susan Ophersuth from Fulton County and Bullock County, who are going to talk about the GOP convention upcoming. And also we have David Clements, uh, my colleague Susan, or uh, Christine Dolan spoke with him early in the week about election integrity. So it's going to be a, a really interesting, impactful show. I want to ask all of my audience to please support our no ad subscriptions. Uh, you get basically all of our news for free. I know a lot of, I, we get complaints on the mobile site, especially. I hate these pop-up ads, but look, we got to make money. Okay. That's just the, the bottom line. So if you don't like ads, you can sign up for our no ad subscription and get access to all of our sites. I'm talking in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, the armed forces press, the Georgia Record, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Miami Independent, Manhattan.press, and the main site CDM. Uh, and there are more coming. So we are really growing nationwide. If you're if you speak Spanish, we're here at CPAC Mexico. We're the only America first Hispanic station to or network to come here from the US. So we, we've made a lot of connections and it's uh, cdmespanol.com is up and running, and we'll get better and better as time goes on. So right now I'm going to bring in uh, Sarah Thompson and Susan Opensu. Hi, guys.
1: Good afternoon. Hi. Hi.
0: So I'm going to just let you talk about what you've discovered and and what's going on with the Georgia State Convention.
1: Great. Well, Sarah and I are excited to actually read from the official call for the 2023 Georgia Republican Precinct Caucuses for county, congressional district, and state conventions. So we just received this this week, and um, it announces that the Georgia Republican Party, pursuant to the rules of the party, as adopted on June 17, 2020, hereby issues this official call to all qualified registered resident voters in the state of Georgia who believe in the principles of the Republican Party and support its aims and purposes to unite under this call in the selection of delegates and alternates to county congressional district and state conventions the georgia republican party seeks the broadest possible participation for such persons in party affairs and delegate selection participation in all precinct caucuses and conventions shall in no way be abridged for reasons of sex race religion color age or national origin on February 11th, 2023, the precinct caucuses for counties over 80,000 will occur. Then we've got precinct caucuses in counties under 80,000 for March the 11th. The county conventions will convene on March the 11th, and the congressional district conventions April 22nd, and the 2023 state convention June 9th through the 10th in Columbus, georgia we're excited to announce this we know that the republican party is looking for the broadest possible participation by each person so we thought that this was information that would be useful to them in their planning this was signed by david Schaefer, chairman John White, Chairman of Permanent Rules Committee, Michael Welch, the Secretary, and Alex Kaufman, Acting Chief, Deputy General Counsel. So we're excited to get all the precincts together and get ready for our convention season, or cycle. Um, however, we did, in noticing and reading this, have a few concerns that we noted. and. Um, One happens to be what we're seeing is the call should contain the actual precinct forms and it does not. So we'll be pursuing that as well. um, Sarah will go into the details a little bit further, but we're a little concerned that it appears as if there's voter suppression um, occurring in the rural areas. By the way, they've organized the um, mass precinct meetings and county conventions, um, really kind of forcing them to occur all in one day. So Sarah will address that a little bit further, but I can say that this official call was to come to me as a, a Fulton County Precinct chair. I have not received it yet. I could be missing something in the mail, um, my emails, but as of now, I am not aware of its distribution. So
0: we're wow. ready to go to work. So Sarah, you were telling me that the, the, the time period was shorter than normal on this, is that correct?
2: Yes, so in 2021, it was the COVID year. So mm-hmm. they had they bumped everything to starting in March versus February. So that might have something to do with it. But mm-hmm. by the rules, it says that all the plans from the counties need to be submitted to the state by December fifteenth, and they have given the, the counties this time until January fifth, with an approval date of January tenth. So that kind of um, does crush the time plan, the time frame for the execution phase. So if you mm-hmm. don't have your plan approved. Uh, really until January 10th, and the first event is not until February 11th, you have a 31-day execution phase. And that's very short, whereas in 2021, it was a seven, around a 75-day execution mm. phase. So and and that it does matter. They do have they have to put out a 15 day notice for the meetings through the legal organ. So we are notifying everyone now because you won't probably see a notice in your county by legal requirement until about January 25th right around that time frame and that's just not enough time to prepare even organize your personal calendar to attend on a Saturday morning at what is it gonna be nine o'clock 10? I think it starts at ten. See, the first mean precinct caucuses will be at 10 o'clock so those are significant factors um, mm-hmm. so so, may I may I address your yeah. concern with the rural
0: counties? Of course, that's go that's ahead.
2: Big, so, so, the rural counties, as we know, most of the counties in Georgia are under the population of 80,000. Mm-hmm. So, about 100, over 120, I believe it is. And um, so, those under 80 counties are the core... Rural, conservative heart of Georgia. There, those, those voters, and it does behoove people who want to move our state further to the left to squelch their voice and to diminish their organizational opportunities. And that's what Susan was referring to. Now, one of the slight th- things we are we're, we're asking questions because it was the permanent rules committee who put this out. And it was, they also could delegate to a subcommittee. So I have put out a question to the party, who is your permanent rules committee? Who is your subcommittee? So that question is on their deck right now with their, with their press. Um, regarding that issue, I want to just read directly from the rule. It's very simple. It, so Susan referred to, they're trying to put the rural counties on one day. That creates a lot of chaos. The tasks are so many tasks to do at on one day at one time. They mm-hmm. have to get precinct all the way through county officer election. That that just it just begs control. You have mm-hmm. to have so much control there, and you you don't even have time really to build your invitation. You don't have time to even invite people if you're if you're doing so much work. So what um, what we found both in 2021 and right now. Um, in the rules, there is a way for county, and this is, I'm speaking directly to the under 80,000 chairman right now. You can opt out of that provision. You can reduce the stress on your county citizens. Just because you're in a rural county doesn't mean you have less participation. You may have big Baptist churches and big Presbyterian churches, big Methodist churches. People know how to gather in rural counties. We are not confused about that. Now, Mm -hmm. regarding the convention, there is such a great benefit to having a precinct caucus meeting, two meetings, precinct caucus and county Mm -hmm. convention. It gives time between those two meetings to develop leaders, to really select some solid county officers, not just the ones that can get in and find out or get Mm -hmm. get sent in. So the rules say that there's an opt-out provision. It's very clear. It says the opt-out provision, it's in 9.2 A5. And it says, uh, they may hold both its precinct caucuses and county convention on the same day and to hold such precinct caucuses either, this is the opt-out, and they could have this either, on the date and time set forth in the call for the precinct caucuses for counties over 80,000. What it says is they can hold their caucuses on February 11th. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, there is a provision there for them to divide it. They just have to be proactive about it.
2: Yeah, they can hold it on February 11th, just like the big counties. Or within the ten-day period ending on that date, so it could be between February 1st and February 11th. So it's right there in 9.2A5A, little A. It's right there. But the but what is so fascinating? This rules committee has done this again. They have said that if you're under eighty thousand, you need to have it on March 11th, all combined or pursuant to this rule I described, and then they said on any other date between March 1st and 11th. So they, they're trying to make, they say, well, you can have it right before the county convention. Well, who wants to do that? Who wants to mm-hmm. have a meeting on one Saturday and then have another meeting on another? You know, you'd rather just jump in the lake, right? As a leader trying yeah. to organize all that on two subsequent Saturdays. And so the average chairman will look at that and say, well, that's just too difficult we're just going to hold them all together. So, mm-hmm. and then, and then you, you get again, that vortex of control, the super delegates. So mm-hmm. if in my County, I'm just going to give an example. Um, in Bullock County, we were under 80 last time. They did a combined event. There were less than uh, less. I have no indication there was any more than 20 people in attendance. We had on that day, 360 delegate spots. Three hundred and sixty. So each wow. of those people represented, wow. and we had eighteen thousand Trump votes. So if you divide twenty, you know that's about twenty thousand divided by twenty. That means each one of those people was voting as a delegate in the party for about a thousand people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That is, that is scary. Mm-hmm. That is dangerous for our representative system. As we know, the party is the gateway interestingly um todd do you want to take a a wild guess how many state delegate positions Bullock county had just take a wild guess
0: zero (laughs) i don't (laughs) know (laughs) well that was chatham county (laughs) okay but but
2: we actually in the rules we had 19 state Mm delegates how interesting we had only the number of people at our county our caucuses and conventions that was just enough to vote for david Schaefer. You see mm. that? So the mm-hmm. little trick—all they really care about is getting enough delegates to vote for the state chairman. That's mm-hmm. really scary. So I want to—if I could wrap up by just reminding people about some of the rights you have in the party. So first of all, you're—you're—you um, have a lawful right to participate as a member of the Georgia Republican Party. You only need to be a qualified voter who agrees with the principles. And uh, you have a, uh, you, your rights are protected under state and federal mm-hmm. law. As we know, there have been a lot of cases fought over the years in federal courts about race in Georgia, trying to block Black citizens from participating in the political parties.
0: Mm-hmm. It's already
2: been fought. This is our right. And, and under party rule 1.1 in the Georgia Constitution, you may only participate in the precinct in which you reside. So you have to make sure your voting status is current because the party will credential you. They absolutely will. So I also want to just uh, wrap up some of the laws protecting the voting process. Mm -hmm. So under federal law, this is Title 52, um, it's the definition of voting. It extends to all actions necessary to make a vote effective in a primary election. And party office is very important party officer elections in Georgia are considered primary elections under state and federal law. This is Mm -hmm. not a private organizational effort here. This is protected. Mm
0: -hmm. Federal Mm
2: -hmm. voting laws protect the voting process, including counting and casting of ballots for political party officers. And this, again, it's not a private organization. So if they say that, it's false. Some party organizations are organized, obviously, for tax purposes, but that does not impact your rights to the elective franchise at the political party level. And all the officers from the precinct officers all the way to the state are our elected officials in the state of Georgia. They're just in the party. Mm -hmm. So they are an official part of the franchise. And so that is very dangerous for the GOP. A well-kept secret, by Mm -hmm. the way. Yeah, so don't mess with us, GOP. And (laughs) Chairman, Chairman, I, please, please consider with your county committees, you need to take your plans to the county committees. Really seriously consider having two meetings and having a really strong show this convention season. What do you think, Susan? Anything else? Well, I totally
1: agree. I mean, otherwise, it's just a recipe for suppression and a recipe for disaster. They really Mm -hmm. need to divide those meetings in order to be effective. It's just too much to put into any one meeting.
0: Good catch, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And you can contact us at go reclaim goreclaimgeorgia.com.
0: Excellent. Well, is there anything else you want the people to know?
2: We can give our email account too. I, you wanna know, you give ahead. your email account? I just did. Well, so <laughs> so I'm a go reclaim, it's G-O reclaim G-A, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at proton.me. And we want to keep you informed Throughout the convention season, so you, your county, your precincts can bring out full representation. And well, actually gonna I did give my wrong. I gave it the website.
1: So it's go reclaim Georgia, I'm sorry, at Protown.me. So we look forward to hearing from you.
0: So it's going to be an exciting uh, season as we. Convention uh, season. Uh, yeah. Indeed, yeah. it will. Thank you, guys. And we'll have you back on, I'm sure, very soon. Take Enjoy care. Mexico. I will. Thanks. God bless. Bye. Bye. So now we have. To- David Clements, who is an election integrity uh, activist all over the country, and he sat down with my colleague Christine Dolan recently, and they discussed what's happening in Arizona, et cetera. I think you'll enjoy the conversation.
3: So for our Georgia show today, uh, we welcome David Clements back, and I'm sitting in for Todd Wood, who is overseas uh, for the weekend. And David, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. So, uh, you know, the election is somewhat behind us. The final numbers aren't in. But let's just break it down since you've been all over the country for the last, you know, two and a half years um, talking about election integrity or the lack thereof. What's your take on the four primary states? Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania for 2022?
4: Well, I think that the red wave, um, which is something that I, warned and cautioned people that it was a bit of propaganda because if you're not going to solve the root causes of our elections, which in my opinion are the rigged election machines and the people that are administrating our elections, if those two don't change, don't expect different results. And if you get a lot of R's by their name that make it over the finish line, you should look at them very carefully because maybe they're not exactly who you think they are. Um, so my, my chief concern was if we were going to have a list of, of Republicans that were really Liz Cheney 2.0. Was that really a victory? Well, you know, be that as it may, we've kind of limped over the finish line. We don't have the Senate. We have uh, Mr. Fetterman out of Pennsylvania, who under any objective measure should not have been the key race that basically added a seat to the Senate. Um, So Pennsylvania might be um, the most fraudulent state where all of the different exploitations and vulnerabilities that are there um, Nevada, we had the locks out race, which was promising. It looked like he was in the lead until he wasn't. Um, Georgia, you've got Herschel Walker heading to a runoff, and by all metrics that we've looked at, it, there shouldn't have been a runoff. His, his lead was uh, substantial, uh, but now that's hanging in the balance. And then you've got Arizona, specifically the Kerry Lake juggernaut, who every pollster had her up, you know, some places 11 points, and all of a sudden. Uh, we were slow rolled and slow walked to uh, this this system that I don't think anyone has ever experienced where the, the person that you're running against is administering the elections. The person that you're running against is counting the votes. And every Let's single. Let's explain during-
3: that for the audience that doesn't know. Hobbs is secretary of state overseeing the election yes. results and refused to step down in Arizona.
4: and yes. Run- and- Yeah. And that flies in the face of every single rule. I mean, we're talking about local state rules. Typically, if you're a candidate, you don't get to participate in the counting of the votes. So she should have recused herself. Arizona is explosive. It's a powder keg. And no one really quite knows what's going to happen in that state. But people are upset. Um, And then you've got, you know, the House hanging on by a thread. You know, we had reports that it looked like the Republicans had it. And now all of a sudden, we're not so sure. And so um, right well, they, now,
3: they have said two th- two, 218. I mean, they've gotten to that point, but again, we don't have all the results in for the House.
4: We don't. And, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is there's very little confidence because every day, depending on how many more ballots come in or how many people are still counting, uh, that number could change. And, and, and you know so it's like, how's it a red wave? And if you were, were to look at the key states that you just mentioned, whether it was Georgia, Pennsylvania, you know um nevada arizona you basically have the same makeup that you did before in georgia you still you have republicans but you have a bunch of republicans that no one likes you know no one was happy with kemp no one was happy with Raffensburger. so you've got the same players in, in, in the same place so unless we have a foundational fix and really highlight the devastating impact of these machines when they function they function in a way that favors democrats Or they just simply malfunction in precincts that are heavily uh, dominated by Republicans. And you saw what happened in Arizona across the country. People went home. And so this was the height of voter suppression. We had voter intimidation stories from clerks and officials where they were telling people you can't use blue pens. Whatever you do, don't use blue pens. If you do, we're going to refer you to a district attorney's office. That's, That's not the epitome of voter suppression, yet it happened. So it's clear to me that a lot of these election officials are still getting their marching orders from Dominion, from ESNS, on how to cover up their fraudulent practices. Nothing's changed. If anything, they doubled down in 2022.
3: You know, I, I've, been in the, I've been covering politics for a long, long time. And I've often said, even since the 1980s, there's too much money, there's too much special interest in the room Um And what I'm seeing now is a generation of younger kids that have a lot of money at young ages, throwing money into the game, thinking that they can, they can buy it, they can influence, they can influence through, you know, through the special interest tunnels to get what they want policy wise uh, on Capitol Hill. And my concern is that, you know, the machines are one angle of this, but I still maintain that whatever the rules of the game is in, in these States, they have to clean up the roles. They, you know, get the dead people off and there doesn't seem to be any political will to really straighten this out. It's like nobody on either side wants to straighten this out because it, it, even in Republican run States, they don't, they don't want, they don't they want to get dead people off the rolls. So to yeah. me, that's the first thing that needs to happen.
4: I think we're on the same page. I think what we have to do is be a little, maybe I need to be a little bit more precise about when we say machines because you got many. So mm-hmm. you've got the poll books, right? And those poll books are networked, meaning that you can, you know, exchange information from county to secretary of state. No one disputes that that information is out there in the cloud and everywhere else. You've got the tabulators, which is what most people are thinking about when when we talk about subverting and changing votes in the machines. But yes, you also have the voter rolls. That's part of an electronic system. In most places, they use Eric. Right. And you can artificially inflate your voter rolls through the flick of a switch. So um, until we have something that approximates a voter roll system that's more paper based, you're going to have the same problem because you have lovely people that have made it their life's work to clean up their voter rolls. They'll go to a parking lot and find out, hey, I, someone was registered to vote from this parking lot, mm-hmm. and they take that information to a clerk. And all they're doing when they clean up the roles is taking a name that is in the active column and making it inactive. It's through a digital means. And so if you can do that one way, what makes people think that you can't reactivate whenever you want to, to bring them back onto the roles? So as long as we have an electronic machine-based system instead of something that's really locally controlled by pre, at, at the precinct level, um, you're not going to have a lot of confidence going forward. So I agree with you that the voter rolls is the foundational piece. It's the line of credit. It's what allows the machines, you know, the tabulators, to basically do its, its magic algorithm. And, and I remind people that you're effectively a math problem that needs to be solved. So one of the reasons why we told people to wait until Election Day was that we can better force the cracks and and um, basically alert people to the massive fraud that's going on. And we saw that um, Joe Hoff with the Gateway Pundit was doing fantastic coverage of the drop and roll that we were seeing in every single state. And the drop and roll was something that was really made popular by Jeff O'Donnell's work, where you see just these injections and spikes of ballots in ways that are impossible. And we were seeing that um, everywhere when you looked at the Edison data in particular.
3: Gee, you know, I ran into in the primary in Maryland this year, I had moved since 2020. So when I showed up to vote in the primary, they're telling me that, you know, my old address was was in their system and that I had to do a provisional. And I said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that, folks. I've got my change of address. I gave it to the DMV. They have it. I have the card. I've got my old driver's license. So I'm not leaving. I'm not doing a provisional, you know, uh, vote. And we're going to change it right there. And I forced them to do it. All right. But then, you know, not everybody's going to have that moxie to do it. Then when I showed up to, to vote in the general election, I could have voted right there where I thought I was where I voted in the primary. They told me, no, I had to go to the high school instead of the firehouse, but I could vote at the at the uh, at the firehouse, but it would be a provisional vote. So it wouldn't be counted same day of election. And I said, OK, I'll go to the high school. So, you know, that little bit of confusion. But if you're 85 years of age and you've got to, on a walker, you know, you're going to think, well, I'll just do it here to get it out of the way. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, what is it? What what do you think it's going to take, David? to flip this around so that people get confidence in it. Because, you know, we have people from this country, both Republicans and Democrats, who go overseas to watch people who decide that they're going to have some type of a democracy and they're going to have people participating in votes. If we don't have it right, why are we the people that should be even trying to export this?
4: Well, I can tell you this. Uh, I take no pleasure in being the consistent, like, bearer of bad news, because we've been trying to warn people about the foundational deficiencies. And if we don't do that, this is one of the things that just bothers me so crazy when people are given busy work that doesn't address the foundational problems with the machines. Uh, You know, it's like overwhelm the algorithms, who the hell wants to overwhelm algorithms for the rest of their lives? Who wants to have these stupid strategies where you show up, put your ballot into box three, like they did in Maricopa, have that taken to another center where you're not even there? And and live in a world where we're finding out results a week after elections, and so in the name of efficiency, that's why we we brought all of these machines, and we're having the most inefficient conversation about the fraud from twenty twenty, the fraud that we saw in the primary just a few months ago, and probably the most rampant fraud that we've seen to date because now people are very very, you know, informed on how the cheats being deployed, so it's going to take you know um, a we the people solution where people need to show up to their local county commission meetings. They need to show up to the, the town councils. In other words, they have to show up to the very people that are locally administering their elections and locally certifying post-election results and showing up in mass saying, we're not going to use these machines. And we don't wait till the primary to get on this. We get on it now to give us our, give ourselves enough time. What's it going to take to have more precincts to get volunteer staff, to do hand counting of paper ballots. And maybe you don't solve all of the problems across the country. Maybe you don't get your favorite president back in the White House. But what you do is you basically ensure that your backyard is accounted for. Because when you think about voting, most of the races that impact you are in your precinct. You know, 85% of the races. So if you solve that issue and saying, look, we don't care what's going about anywhere else except for in my county. We're going to fix our county then you've got a prescription for success. Um, But we're going to have to have a a level of courage, not just the people that we're asking to stand up. I mean, we've been asking county commissioners to stand up, but we need to get off our fat asses, excuse my language, and show up and go into a place of consequence where there's decision-making happening. We have to get off of social media and just have debates in the comment sections. And if we're not showing up every two weeks, like clockwork, bringing friends, and filling these rooms... And, and basically making our election officials' lives living hells. You're not going to get your country back. And right now, I'm, I'm moderately enthused at what's going on in Maricopa County. They showed up in front of the Board of Supervisors and gave them what for. But you look at what's going on in Brazil, where you had 3 million people outside in the streets, standing arm in arm with the military. The military, they've seen this book before. If they hand this over to the communists, they're not going to get their country back. And we're kind of like in the shadow of Brazil and people don't realize that that's us. We're there now. And if we don't have the same fervor to show up outside of the M-Tech Center or to have peaceful protests and peacefully assemble, which is consistent with the First Amendment, we've been scared out of using the First Amendment out of fear that there's going to be some false flag. Well, what good is the First Amendment if we're afraid to use it? So if if you can't show up in peacefully make yourself heard. I'm, I'm fearful that we're going to see much of the same in 2024. I just pray that that isn't. So
3: I think also people have to understand that not every state has precincts. Um, you know, that they have to find out what the rules of the game is in every single state and who's in charge in their counties to start with cleaning it up. Who makes the yeah. decision in their states to have machines, not have machines?
4: Yeah, um, that's huge. You get you get parishes, you've got precincts, you've got towns, you've got counties, you've got supervisors. All of the terminology is a little bit different depending where you go. But the the salient point is you got to figure out who is counting the votes where you live and who is basically calling who the victors are.
3: So let's let's talk about um, why, how many lawyers are in the courts right now? Because one of the things that we saw, you know, in the first 24, 48 hours, and a lot of it had to do because not all the results were in. I know Carrie Lake announced this week that she is putting together a legal team uh, in Arizona for for her race. So do we have other lawyers that are going to be in the room in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Georgia?
4: It doesn't sound like it. Now there might be, but it's hard to, to um, position yourself in a in a place of strength when you've got many candidates that have conceded, right? Mm-hmm. So when you've got Mastriano who conceded when you had, I think, I don't know if there's some inconsistent messaging from Blake Masters uh, campaign on whether they've in fact conceded. Um, Matt DiPerno, and uh, many people in Michigan conceded. And so they're not telegraphing that. And, and perhaps they're just tired. I get it because many of these people were at the head of, or the tip of the spear when it comes to the election discussion. Um, but um, I understand if if they're tired of running to this law called legal standing. You know, I was probably the first person with my credentials that threw it out there that, look, I've evaluated close to 400 lawsuits and 99% of them have been dismissed. They don't get to the merits. I don't know if we're going to expect any changes, but we need a lawsuit that gets to the Supreme Court that really corrects the the flawed understanding of what standing is and what it isn't, because it's not being applied in a way that makes any sense. Typically, um, what happens is if you file a lawsuit, it will be dismissed on standing grounds if your harm was generalized, meaning, you know, for instance, you know, Obamacare, a lot of business owners were harmed by Obamacare. It affected their ability to make payroll and whether they're going to have 100 employees or 40 employees. So many people sued and the court said rightly, in, in some respects, I'm not talking about Justice Roberts and all the crap that he did, but they rightly said, look, if you don't like the law, you can vote the bums out of office. Your harm is generalized in nature. It's, it's, a, it's a harm, but you've got the political process. You've got a remedy where you can go back and fix the laws by virtue of the vote. Well, they're applying, they're applying that doctrine to the realm of elections where you do not have a political remedy because our issue is the voting process itself. So they're applying a standing doctrine incorrectly. And unless we get a, a new robust body of law that understands that because these machines are malfunctioning, this is not a generalized harm. This is a concrete, particularized harm. And they're using and applying case law that has no basis, has no application here. So we have to have a breakthrough. I think um, Clarence Thomas was telegraphing that in one of his dissenting opinions. I think it was actually out of Georgia, that this Mm -hmm. is something that needs to be addressed. But until it gets before them, people are going to continue to to apply bad law because now there's new precedent (laughs) where they're applying a bunch of garbage law to the election space. So we desperately need that. And unless we, we solve the standing conundrum, people are going to keep throwing good money after bad, filing lawsuits that are going to go nowhere. And that happened with Carrie Lake. She filed that preliminary injunction back months ago. It was dismissed for lack of standing. So we have to solve that problem. I mean, it looks great. It makes it for a great headline. I'm suing someone, but I've been tracking these things. And it's just astonishing uh, at you know what makes it before a court these days. And virtually any, any election of consequence has not made it to a full merits hearing. So,
3: David, when, 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 are the lawyers giving people bad advice or is it, is it just the body of law that, that it's a brick wall that they're up against?
4: Yeah. Well, th- this is the problem with the legal profession in general right now is that we've got a lot of people that have been trained and brought up through law schools that have adopted legal positivism, which is you basically follow whatever law that's out there because someone said so and and we used to have a robust understanding of natural law that you would always fight to make sure that your laws are in alignment with the bill of rights with the first amendment with with the constitution and, and if you're going to have a discussion about natural law you have to talk about morality and and things that are self-evident and and things that exist because by virtue of your of your nature as a human being that conferred dignity and so there's always been a contrast between the the natural law theorist and the positive, the positive law folks and the positive law folks have won out. And you've got a lot of lawyers that said, look, I understand that the constitution in my state says that the legislature sets the time, place and manner of an election. And I understand that COVID came in and we just ignored that, but there was an executive order that was handed out by the governor and the department of health told me how we had to run our elections. And we just follow along without any uh, understanding it, how, you know, unconstitutional and harmful that is to the Republic. So unless someone shows up and you actually have someone with a pedigree that says, this is garbage, then you're going to continue to see what you're seeing. And I think this is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why this is so problematic is you had massive amounts of money that have gone into uh, judicial retention races, into races for sheriffs, for AGs across the country. So everywhere that we have rampant fraud, we don't get investigations. In Maricopa, there was millions of dollars that were allocated to the sheriff's race by George Soros. And people wonder why there's no investigations in Maricopa County. Uh, in Michigan, some of the most massive intimidation tactics that we've ever seen, where special prosecutors were appointed to go after legitimate investigators per the orders of Dana Nessel. Well, guess who supports her? Right. The Soros factions. So they have created bottlenecks of corruption at the ground level and at the top and that's been a plan that's been in place for 30 plus years. They incrementally go to the swing states, and they just keep proliferating. So unless we understand the terrain, um, the reason why I just don't get on the lawsuit bandwagon is because we have to leverage our superpower, which is our numbers. It's we the people. And we have to get into rooms of consequence with you know, five or six people and shrink the audience and say, look, when you certify something, because you're getting these forms of certificate from the secretary of state saying at the precinct level, in my precinct, everything looks good. When you certify and fill out that paperwork saying this looks good, you're telling everyone that your elections are trustworthy. And given the the collective knowledge that we have across the country about how vulnerable these machines are, no one can make that statement. And so unless we get people at the local level to withhold it saying, look, unless I get answers, Unless I evaluate the source code from Dominion, unless I do a paper ballot canvas, unless we do hand recounts, I cannot in good conscience offer my certification in my particular cog in the election system. We need a massive withholding of that affirmation through the paper. And if you have that, you can bring the system to a halt and demand accountability and new elections because that's what we really need. We need to have a new election in every one of these swing states, given what we've seen. Or, or we're just going to continue to kind of die on the altar of convenience. And it's like watching a television show. People are tired of it.
3: Well, you know, and, and we also have, I mean, people people immediately said to me, you know, Christine, what, what happened in Pennsylvania? And I said, well, quite frankly, I said Fetterman was in the basement and people started voting, you know, 40, 50 days of early voting in Pennsylvania by the time they had the debate. I mean, the evidence was right. It was in plain sight. But. Too many people had voted by that point in time. Well, and even if they and they was, and uh, they were they were going to vote Democratic, whether or not he you know he came from the basement or didn't.
4: So yeah, so uh, what you're seeing in Pennsylvania across the across the board is if you subvert the designer software on the election files themselves, you can have a digital alteration of the vote. Now that's a problem for the bad guys because if someone checks and they want to do a canvas, it has to be reconciled with the paper. So what they're doing is they can make the adjustments digitally. They can subvert and turn those election devices into selection devices. And when you have a larger window of for early voting, mail-in voting, you're you're basically creating the paper trail that you need to reconcile the two. And if they didn't get their algorithm tailored with precision, you'll have the phenomena that we're seeing after the polls should be closed, which is ballots just keep mysteriously showing up, or you'll you'll overlook case law that says that you have to at least have a postmark for that ballot on election day. They disavowed that. I believe that t- that happened in Pennsylvania.
3: That, ha- that happened in Arizona, didn't it? Didn't, it, didn't it? Because of the breakdown, they ran out of ink or whatever happened in, in Arizona. They extended it until the next day or oh, no, at least hours.
4: In Pennsylvania, they extended it to 10 o'clock at night. Uh, the late campaign in Arizona tried to do the same thing because people went home. And because of the Hobbs, it didn't doesn't favor the Hobbs campaign. They, they weren't allowed to do that. So people literally were in line for three hours and went home after seven o'clock.
3: Mm. In Nevada, they had they had some snowstorms, and, and the governor fooled around with that. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about something that that broke, <clears throat> which is going to be a big story. It has a lot of legs. FTX, this Sam kid, you know, thirty years of age, he's blown up everybody, um, and his team. I mean, I don't, I just, I can't get over the story because it 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 is mind boggling. I have a hard time believing that people would give this kind of money to 20 and 30 year olds and then get people to come in for equity if they, you know, lended their name for brands like Tom Brady. But there you have it. And um, we know that there are there's a mind the gap, some type of a pack that his mother runs, his father's involved with Stanford law professors where they work as law professors are involved. His brother's involved. His father's done some work for Senator Warren in terms of banking legislation looks like a family affair, even has a girlfriend who ran the quote unquote research center that seemed to have received funds that belonged to the clients at FTX. And then she decided that she was going to get involved, I guess in trading them or, or a team of them got involved with mm-hmm. trading them and, you know, they, they failed. And so now it's, it's filed for bankruptcy. And, um, I just see red flags on this because I think to myself, wow, is this the new model for, for donating to Democratic candidates? Just so off the grid. And then somehow it's connected to some minister in Ukraine who denies it. But this kid had set up, uh, you know, some type of, a, you know, a, a GoFundMe or something to yeah. raise money for the people in Ukraine, even though we in the United States have put in almost $100 billion.
4: Yeah, I think before we, we got on, the show today, you know, to me, it just looks like, look, this is tax pi- taxpayers subsidizing their own defeat. Because what happens is you get these huge bailout packages in the billions that have been sent to the Ukraine courtesy of the taxpayer. And we're finding out that the money that's being that's being sent there hasn't been allocated for the war effort, which some of us are sitting there going, why the hell are we trying to, you know, you know, pick a, a nuclear <laughs> fight with Russia of all places? because it's
3: a proxy war i mean the the whole goal is in it's like libya years ago the whole goal is is not just it's not to remove Gaddafi. he's gone it's to remove Putin.
4: yeah and so but what we're seeing there is the taxpayer packages are basically being invested into this this crypto garbage and then it's being laundered and brought back and we're finding that it's lining the pockets of many prominent politicians that all voted for the aid to go to ukraine and it's not just the notable uh, regular people that you would expect would be corrupt to the core. There's prominent Republicans that m- most of us knew they're corrupt, but you're talking about the Mitch McConnell's of the world, you're talking about the Kevin McCarthy's. And these are all people that just happen to align with every single establishment uh, candidate in the primaries and the generals. And so this is just basically the, the uniparty being exposed right before us, follow the money, and uh, to have that level of corruption and money laundering—I mean, there was a request even beyond, I think, November eighth for another thirty-seven billion dollars to be sent to Ukraine. When we know that money is going to come right back to Democrat coffers, that's that's just absurd. And um, this story, historically, would probably be one of the most important stories, like on, on the planet. Like this is this is something that would have driven the news cycle. For a full year, twenty years ago. Now it's a it blip on the radar, and people are ready to move on to the latest. Oh, I, I, I think
3: this. I think this is. I think this has a lot of legs because you know what? Somebody. I mean, David, you're a former prosecutor. I was trained as a criminal investigator. Somebody's going to be going to jail. This, this, this. You know, we, these are wire frauds. These are every action is going to be a wire fraud count. Money laundering. No accountability. Making promises to clients, or collecting crypto, you know, giving them money for the crypto tokens, and promising that their money is going to stay in the account, and then they decide to move it someplace else within the entity to yeah. play, you know, funny money, Wall Street trading that failed.
4: Somebody's going to be going to jail. I I, I pray that it's so, Christine. But the, but the problem is, is that the institutions that we traditionally rely on have been so feckless when it comes to getting justice. And and I say this following what happened with the Connect stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Eugene, you, that was legitimate work that showed, established that we had all of this information from our election workers on Chinese servers. That was good, credible information. And that return of an indictment was merited. Yet, because the FBI started meddling and applying major pressure on the LA district attorney, what did they do? They dismissed the case without prejudice, meaning they could refile it but don't hold your breath while Catherine uh, Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips spent a week in jail. So, I mean, when we, when we see that, it's like, look, I, I'm pretty used to bad news. And even as a prosecutor, I didn't always get my day. Um, but unless we solve this problem from the ground up and really start getting an irate, you know, uh, citizen class, these people don't, they don't care about what we think anymore. They hold us with contempt. And, and this, if, if we don't get justice with this latest scandal, um, put us on the trash heap of history because there's no turning this around. If we don't get rid of these machines, if we don't have accountability with the politicians and this crypto money laundering scheme. Um, I, I don't know. And, and a lot of us are getting really tired. I mean, maybe that's coming through in this this interview with you. But I'm saying this as a prosecutor who's patient. I waited more than a decade to get murder convictions. And so I'm very patient and I'm disciplined, but good people, good agents aren't working these cases. You've got, again, bottlenecks with the Department of Justice. You've got, you know, absolute corruption with the DOJ. You've got Merrick Garland, for Christ's sake, in charge of the justice apparatus. And if Merrick Garland, you know, folks, he is exactly who we think he is. So I just don't have a whole lot of confidence there. And many of us were so desperate for that red wave victory to give us the hope. Um, I guess one bit of hopium would be the fact that there was an announcement that there was going to be an investigation opened into, uh um, Joe Biden's criminal dealings. I don't know if that work was informed by the work of Marco Polo and Garrett Ziegler, but if, for people that have watched and looked at his work with the Biden laptop report, everything you need's there. Everything oh, is. is there. Every,
3: everything, everything is, everything is there. I mean, it, yep. it's, it's, it's quite something in terms of the evidence that's there. And uh, Comer from Kentucky and Jordan held a press conference and they have said, you know, on Thursday that, in fact, they are going forward and the focus is going to be on Joe Biden and the benefits that he received financially from what his brother Jim and his son Hunter did internationally. And and
4: Christine, what I can tell you is that what Garrett did is he put everything on a silver platter. And so if there was ever a time to, to do exactly what we hope for for massive arrest depending on where you know that's the, that's the Biden stuff but I, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly that the cryptocurrency money laundering scandal is part and parcel to the crimes that were committed by the Biden family because you know what are we talking about we're talking about Ukraine and the Biden footprint in the Ukraine is is you know it's isn't
3: that cool. extraordinary isn't that extraordinary I mean when when you piece this together and you get into now I have I've been taking a dive since the story broke And I'm certainly not an expert on it. But the one thing that I do know is that of all the places on earth that Sam uh, SBF wanted to get into was Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And that just I mean, that is such a red flag. And I still haven't gotten to the deep dive of how Sam got to Ukraine because a 30 year old kid who's walking around the way he walks around and speaks the way he speaks. He's not terribly articulate. Doesn't matter whether he went to MIT. Doesn't matter if five or six of them went to MIT. If you don't have a value system and you have a hip- hypocritical way of dealing with people and say, "Oh, we're going to make this," uh, I think the terminology is effective altruism is, is the coin he came up with. You know how we're going to, you know, apply capitalism for the greater good of mankind, and you lie to the people who who bought into your scheme. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is almost like a divine intervention that, that that this broke now and he couldn't bail himself out, and it doesn't oh. matter whether it's this guy Cz who was his competitor or not from Bifan. By- but by- I think it's by know, by-
4: I agree with that. I mean, it's almost like central casting for a bad movie. Like this, this looks like you know the feckless spoiled kid that's wearing a hoodie, and yet he's directing the the financial fortunes of the cabal, or you know, you look at Fetterman like. You know, we're actually should count our stars that, you know, instead of Biden occupying the White House, that, you know, you don't have someone much more charismatic like Barack Obama or, you know, people that are just better spokespersons. It's like, the, the, I guess, the evil bench they've run out of, of people that can speak and, and, and really pull a fast one on you. Because right now, if we didn't have such obvious examples of corruption, people, that, I mean, literally have cognitive disabilities that are now US senators and being talked about as a potential presidential candidate. Oh, I, I that's ridiculous. You know, I so, mean. But- I, so uh, yes, that that this this is a gift the fact that it's never been easier to identify just how blatantly villainous these people are. Uh, they could have made it a little bit harder for us. So we probably should count our blessings there.
3: Well, David, thank you so much for joining us. And please come back and update us as this moves along, because this none of, none of these stories are going away.
0: I will, Christine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Georgia 2022 show. We'll be back in the studio next week. Until then, take care.